Have you ever been asked a question for which you thought the answer should be obvious? You know, some people respond to questions like that with other questions that they think are just as obvious, like, uh, is the Pope Catholic? Is the sky blue? Well, once upon a time when I was called into ministry, way back in the dark ages, I uh, transferred from the school I was attending to Oklahoma Baptist University to enroll as a ministerial student. And another student there was doing the same thing. We struck up a conversation together while we were registering. And I got the sense that he was one of these kinds of folks who is sort of showy about their faith, uh, wears his religion kind of on his sleeve, if you will. At least that was the impression I got when he asked me something that I never would have imagined asking someone who was registering as a ministerial student. I had no more told him that I was preparing for ministry than he looked right at me and he asked, do you love Jesus? Well, I thought he was kidding at first until I realized he was serious. And I'm glad I didn't say something like, is the Pope Catholic? But I guess I could have because it seemed like an awfully silly question to me at the time. But maybe I judged him a bit too harshly. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, the Apostle Peter was asked a very similar question from none other than Jesus himself. Jesus asked Peter how much he loved him. Not just if he loved him, but basically how much he loved him. And we're going to read that in today's scripture text. It's just one verse, so I will read it for you quickly. It's in John chapter 21, verse 15. Jesus had appeared to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee that morning. They had actually eaten together. And then it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, believe it or not, grammatically speaking, that can be taken in three different ways. And I want us to look at those briefly this morning. The first way that question would be meant would be, uh, Simon, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Do you love me more than these others do? On the night of Jesus' arrest, he told his disciples that they would desert him. And Peter was the one who protested otherwise. Oh, no, he said. In Matthew 26, we read that Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter was always quick to speak. 
And so he stood up to proclaim his love and devotion for Jesus and to Jesus. Now maybe he was just trying to lift Jesus' spirits a bit, but his statement comes across as an incredibly presumptuous boast, doesn't it? He's saying, Lord, these others here, they may desert you, but not me. I love you more than they do. I'll never desert you. But saying it and doing it are very different things, aren't they? Peter discovered that when he denied Jesus three times that very night. And now, here we are after the resurrection, and Peter comes and asks, uh, Jesus asks him, Do you truly love me more than these? Had to have been a sore subject for Peter. But Peter demonstrated a bit of the wisdom and maturity that he had gained through that experience that night, and he humbly and wisely responded to Jesus without making any reference to anyone else. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Peter did love Jesus. He knew it. Jesus knew it. But Peter had also had to face the reality of his own weakness, his own human frailty, and it had humbled him. It had taught him an invaluable lesson. Maybe he did love Jesus more than all the others. After all, he faithfully served his Lord for the rest of his life, even to the point of martyrdom, because he loved Jesus and stayed faithful and true to Jesus. But he wasn't quite so ready to boast about it as he once had been. If Jesus were to ask you whether you love him more than the rest of us do, what would you say? Now, it's not a competition, of course. Comparing ourselves to others is a dangerous undertaking. Uh, it can lead us into a self-righteous smugness that looks down on others in a judgmental kind of way. When we think we love Jesus more than they do. Before I came to Central seven years ago, uh, I was helping a little church near where we lived in Texas, in Hood County, Texas, as a matter of fact, so I felt right at home. It was a small rural congregation, and I was helping them out as their interim uh, pastor. And one Sunday evening, they had Sunday evening services, I was preparing to speak to the dozen or so folks who were there when in the door came a pastor friend of mine and his wife. Now, he was the pastor of a cowboy church that my church had helped found and sponsor and uh, got off the ground, and it, and it had great success. He was a very um, winsome, charismatic guy, funny, jokester, that kind of thing, and he thought he'd come in and surprise me that evening. Well, naturally, I introduced him to the other folks who were there. I said, this is my friend Dave. He's pastor Thus and such cowboy church, I said, now he's not, he's not slacking off tonight because their church doesn't have Sunday evening services and their church doesn't have Sunday evening services because they don't love Jesus as much as we do. <laughs> and he laughed so hard I thought he was going to fall out of the pew. And he still today, we, we, we talk every so often and he'll say, well, you know, blah, 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 but, but 
I don't love Jesus as much as you do. <laughs> Comparison is almost always a bad thing, but the superior lives of, of Christian believers whose love and devotion is just praiseworthy, it just seems to be head and shoulders above, that can inspire a good thing in us if it convicts us of our lack of love and devotion and service. Are you known among your peers as one who has a devotion to Christ that is above and beyond the norm? Or would you be described as just a nominal Christian? In almost every church, there are observers and there are the doers. The observers may be members of the church, but they're not really involved or engaged. They may even be saved, but their fruit doesn't demonstrate any real devotion to Christ. They can't be depended upon to contribute or to serve in any effective way. They're just observers. And then there are the doers in the church, the ones who get involved, the ones who serve wherever there is a need, the ones who don't have to be asked to serve. They show up and they pitch in wherever they see the need may be. They carry the burden. They serve. They demonstrate their devotion in what they do. They are the doers. Observers and doers. In which category would you fall? if you were to think about it. Jesus basically told Peter that if he loved him, he would serve him. Feed my lambs, he said. Earlier, Jesus had told all of his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I teach you. So do you love him more than these? Another way that could be taken, grammatically speaking, would be to rephrase it sort of like this. Simon, do you love me more than these others? Meaning, do you love me more than you love these others? These other disciples, other people, the others in your life. Do you love me more than you love them? There were six other disciples there with Peter and Jesus that day. And Peter had always been a spokesman for the group, but now he had become sort of the de facto leader, if you will. Earlier in the chapter, when Peter said, uh, I'm going fishing, the others went along. They followed him. Maybe Peter thought that was kind of neat to have some followers of his own. Uh, it can be a, a heady thing, I suppose. And every leader knows the temptation to do what is popular rather than what is right. And Peter had succumbed to that very temptation the night that Jesus was arrested. He gave in to the peer pressure to deny Jesus. He let his desire to please others and save his own skin override his desire to please his Lord, the one to whom just hours before he had pledged undying allegiance. Now, Jesus may be saying, Simon, son of John, did you notice 
John, in writing this gospel, he calls him Simon Peter, but Jesus doesn't. Peter, the name that Jesus had given him, uh, Simon, son of John, it, it meant rock. And Peter had been anything but a rock in recent days. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to put me first, is what he's saying. You're going to have to love me more than you love anyone else. You're going to have to be more concerned with my approval than you are about anyone else's approval. You're going to have to follow me even if everyone else deserts you. Do you love me enough to do that, Simon? Do you love me more than these? One of the verses of the hymn we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, says, Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Now, that's pretty easy to say when we're surrounded by others who are singing the same words. But what about when we're at work or at school or at leisure with our friends who may have different opinions, may be lost? How much more challenging is it to say then what about when our friends are doing or saying or posting online things that we know our Lord would not want us to be involved in? What about then? Are we more concerned with what others may think about us than we are with what Jesus thinks of us? Don't let anyone else come between you and Jesus. Don't love anyone else more than you love Jesus. Do you love Him more than you love these others? Well, there's a third grammatical possibility in the way to interpret this, and that would be something uh, more along these lines. Simon, do you love me more than you love these things? Some commentators think that Jesus may be referring to the the nets and the equipment and the boats and things that were a part of Peter's fisherman livelihood, his fisherman business. Because the word that's translated these can be either masculine or neuter. And if it's neuter, then it can mean these things. The things that Peter was comfortable with, the things that Peter knew, the things he could be successful with, these fishermen things. Now, the thought is that in the time that had passed since Jesus' initial resurrection appearances and this appearance in Galilee, that during that period of time the disciples maybe had, had lost their way just a bit. They'd perhaps grown a little discouraged, were unsure of what to do, because the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for witness and ministry had not yet come. That wouldn't happen until the Pentecost event. So finally, apparently not knowing what else to do, Peter said, well, I'm going fishing. It had been his business. It had been his trade, his livelihood. Maybe he was just hanging out with the others there in Galilee and finally thought, well, you know, we've, we've got to feed ourselves at least. We've got to earn a living Let's go fishing. We know how to do that. We know how to be successful at that. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with earning a living, providing for your family. In fact, the Bible more or less commands it. In 1 Timothy 5, the Bible says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The problem comes when providing things gets out of proportion to the rest of our lives. When, when our thoughts are more focused on the material than the spiritual things of life. It's an easy trap to fall into. We know that, don't we? Because after all, that's what everyone else is doing. That's how the world keeps score. How the world judges success. It does so by the size of your home and the size of your car and the size of your bank account and the lavishness of the trips you take and the vacations you go on and all of those things. But let me tell you, God has no interest in those things whatsoever. God doesn't measure success that way at all. Not in the least. So our Lord wants us to love Him more than we love things. A better preacher than I once made this point when he drew a contrast between Abraham and Lot in the Old Testament. He said that Abraham was the kind of man who if his business interfered with his religion, he let go of his business. Lot, on the other hand, was the kind of man who, if his religion interfered with his business, he let go of his religion. More interested in his business and the things that could provide for him than his faith. Do you love Jesus more than the things that are constantly around you in daily life? Because he wants you to. He wants you to hold those things loosely, if you will. When my father died, he had a lot of things. Not because he was wealthy, but because he was sentimental. <laughs> and he never let go of anything. Everything he had seemed to remind him of, of someone or something or some time in his life. And so he had a lot of stuff. Uh, and it, it wasn't because he was a hoarder, but he would have called himself a collector, I expect, for sure. Well, my mother was not sentimental, and uh, so she decided to have an auction after Dad passed to auction off all of his stuff, and he had a lot of stuff, as I say. So out there at the farm, he had a barn full of things, barns, I guess, plural, full of things, uh, Model T and Model A, lots of old woodworking equipment, tools, tractors, only one of which would run, old pickups, automobiles, farm equipment, antiques he'd picked up. He had an antique uh, barber chair that had to be decades and decades old. I don't know what he ever thought he was going to do with that, but he had it. So in the morning of the auction, all of this stuff is spread out all over the place, outside, inside, and by the end of that day, every piece of it was gone. Poof, just like that. All of his things, the stuff he had collected through all of the decades of his life. Now, it didn't change the fact that my dad was still right here in my heart. But never have I been more aware of the truth of Jesus saying, that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
because all of his possessions, except the ones we had kept for various reasons, were gone. Someday, everything you own will belong to someone else. Everything. The clothes on your back will belong to someone else or be gone in the dustbins of history. Have you considered that? Knowing that, how much sense does it make to live your life to acquire things rather than to love your Lord, the one who secures your eternity, to love things more than you love Jesus? Does that make sense? No. I'm not going to ask you this morning if you love Jesus. I would hope the answer to that question would be as obvious as the Catholicity of Pope Francis, if you will. But I'm not going to hesitate to ask you how much you love Jesus. Because if Jesus could ask Peter, the one whom the Catholics consider to be the first pope, if Jesus could ask this one who became the pillar of the church, how much he loved him, then certainly we ought to be asking ourselves and one another how much we love Jesus. Do you love Jesus more than you love others? Do you love Jesus more or at least as much as the others here today do? Do you love Jesus as much as you love your stuff? Whichever of these understandings of Jesus' question is the one he had in mind, and likely it was the first, because Jesus was reinstating Peter. He asked him three times, the same number of times that Peter had denied him. But all three are appropriate for us as we ask ourselves how much we love Jesus. Do you love him enough to give what he asks you to give? Enough to prioritize him in your schedule, not just week by week, but day by day by day? How much do you love Jesus? You already know how much Jesus loves you. How much do you love him? Let's bow together for prayer. God, we do know how much you love us. Scripture tells us that you demonstrate your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a love that's boundless, endless, immeasurable. So, Father, we appropriately ask ourselves today what Jesus asked Peter so long ago how much we love him. And I pray that the, the answer, the, the response that comes to mind as we ask ourselves that question is an encouraging one. One that will help us know what Jesus was trying to help Peter know that day. That his love was true and genuine 
and would be sufficient to carry him through the remainder of his life to a, a testimony at his death to an eternity in your kingdom. I pray, God, that we might respond as Peter did and that our love for you would continue to grow through all of our days for your glory, for your praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing uh, our hymn.